You're listening to the Niners Bros, your home for post-game analysis, correcting media narratives, and keeping you up to date on all things San Francisco 49ers. What's up, guys? I'm Michael Ditchfield. I'm David Ditchfield, and we are the Niners Bros. And we are back for Season 2 with a streamlined format, ready to get you all caught up on everything 49ers and break down the Week 1 matchup against the Steelers, what a glorious victory it was. And we're going to cut through all the narratives and all of the noise and let you know what really happened in this game, why the 49ers won. Uh, Just a great way to kick off the season. But uh, before we do that, we're going to take a quick tour around the league. And I think you'd have to say that the number one story from week one in the NFL was that it was a very, very bad week to be an elite NFL quarterback. (laughs) Yeah, and there were a bunch of teams that just looked like they were still really solidly in preseason mode, obviously going down from four preseason games to three recently. I don't know if that has something to do with it. A lot of coaches made the decision to essentially bench their guys or rest their starters in that third preseason game as well, and you had a bunch of teams that looked really rusty. Yeah. Uh, Elite quarterbacks who lost in week one included Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs losing to the Lions. Joe Burrow, the highest paid player now in the history of the NFL as of last week. Yeah, $55 million a year. Yeah, failed to throw for 100 yards as the Bengals lost to the Browns 3-24. to Some other big-name quarterbacks who lost, of course, Herbert lost to Tua in a shootout. Um, Herbert, of course, being anointed as you know the next big thing and one of the top three or four quarterbacks in the league. Uh, but it wasn't finished there. Josh Allen <laughs> struggled uh, mightily. Horrible, even after um, the biggest name of all, Aaron Rodgers, went down with a, a really gut-wrenching um, Achilles where you could actually see the Achilles pop. Uh, but, yeah, just name, so, an, name an elite quarterback, and it was a bad week for them. <laughs> Football is back, and yes. everyone is so excited, unless you are a fan <laughs> of one of those teams that we just mentioned that just basically crapped all over the field. I was thinking on Sunday Night Football, as the Giants put one of the most pathetic games I have ever seen on tape, I was thinking, well, that was really hard to watch, like uncomfortable to watch, and I don't even care who wins, right? Sure. <laughs> like yeah. I'm a 49ers guy, so I, I have no no nothing invested in that game. That was uncomfortable to watch that beatdown, and I found myself thinking, imagine being a Giants fan. This is week one, and especially for those fans who are actually going to the game, sure. they sit through a torrential monsoon to watch a 40 to nothing beatdown where they didn't even look mildly competitive at any moment during that game. So you're thinking, okay, well, wow, that's the that's the worst thing that's going to happen in week one, right? Well, actually, it could be worse. You could be a fan of the other New York team, the Jets, who drafted unbelievably well last year. They've got an amazingly solid defense, tons of promising um, second-year guys and rookies. And this was the missing piece for them. Aaron Rodgers, that's the one thing they didn't have was a competent quarterback. So not only do you get a competent quarterback, you get a Hall of Famer game-changing quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. And four plays into the season, he exits the game. We later found out that it is a torn Achilles, and he is done for the year. That is just sickening for certainly Jets fans. But for any fan of the NFL in general, you never want to see one of the game's elite superstars like that go down, especially 
in the first drive of the of the first game just awful it's horrible sunday night and monday night i found myself thinking in my head like do i have do i know any giants or jets fans i should be checking on right yeah, now t- like, time for a wellness check <laughs> on those guys yeah pretty rough um another uh, elite quarterback or at least you'd be led to think he was elite uh who lost this week was kenny pickett of the steelers sure did yeah Okay, so he's not elite, but you would think from the way the media was uh, lining up to pick the Steelers in this game, you would think that he had already been sort of dubbed as such. It, it really was amazing after the Niners made it to the NFC Championship game last year and then added Javon Hargrave, you know, <laughs> you know, perhaps one of the top two or three free agents in the class after all of that to come out and see the majority of the analysts on NFL Network and ESPN picking the Steelers. I realize it was, you know, a home game for the Steelers, but I, I think it, a lot of people just got, you know, the the biggest story for the Steelers coming into this game. I think a lot of people fell in love with what they did in the preseason, but the preseason is just that <laughs> it's, it's backups. Like you said, and, and they went five for five. Their starting offense did as far as drives equaling touchdowns in the preseason. And everyone just assumed that they would pick up right where they left off and not, not so. And yeah, they did look great. Obviously it's better to look good in preseason games than to look terrible in preseason games. But I think it's like collectively the entire NFL media forgot that preseason doesn't actually matter. The main purpose of preseason is just to figure out which, you know, approximately 40 guys are not going to make your team. That's why they play preseason and to gradually get these guys into football shape. But yeah, Kenny Pickett had a 158.3 perfect quarterback rating in the preseason. And so the Steelers actually won the toss in this game and decided they were actually going to receive. Most teams nowadays prefer to defer so that you can get the ball to start the second half. But the Steelers just really gung-ho decided they were going to just keep that momentum rolling from the preseason and just throw the ball. And spoiler alert, it didn't work out very well for them. Yeah, I think this game was clearly lost. I mean, you can say that, it, well, it's 60 minutes. you got to play for a full 60 minutes. That's fine. But this game was lost after the first four possessions for each team when the 49ers scored in all four and the Steelers went three and out in their first, actually their first five. The Steelers didn't even get a first down until their last drive of the first half, which was like a two-minute drill where the 49ers went into a, a prevent defense. And even their first first down got reversed on a challenge after they reviewed the spot. Yeah, so, yeah. it wasn't even a challenge. I had to laugh the officials because it was inside of two minutes it wasn't a coach's challenge the officials were like hold up Pittsburgh <laughs> yeah. that, that actually wasn't a first down you're, you're about four inches shy so that was hysterical uh you know the crowd went berserk in a sarcastic cheer as the Steelers finally got their first first down and then they had to move the chains back yeah so we mentioned Hargrave already and I think that was another big story for the 49ers coming into this was how would their defense look especially with Steve Wilkes you know this is their third defensive coordinator in the Shanahan era not because they're having to fire them but because they keep losing coordinators to head coaching jobs elsewhere and it was just a truly dominant performance you know names like Fred Warner and Hufunga who've been so good in the past showed up you know Warner just flat and Najee Harris behind the line of scrimmage on a run play where he, he knocked him backwards into the ground, which you just don't see happen, you know, on a running play up the middle. Uh, but Hufunga had an interception. Bosa graded out as the highest uh, 
defensive player, even though he didn't seem to, you know, he didn't have any sacks and didn't seem to make that big of an impact. But between Armstrong and Hargrave, they were pushing the pocket constantly and Pickett just could not step up. And anytime he tried to escape, Drake Jackson was there uh, with high motor. Good to see his conditioning, you know, a, a promising young player for the 49ers. He had three sacks in this game after, after having just three or three and a half last year. It, it, it really was one in the trenches when you looked at how dominant the 49ers defense was. They were rushing four throughout the majority of the game, despite some early blitzing, but rushing four, dropping seven into coverage, and Pickett just could not find anybody open. Yeah, Hargrave was kind of the forgotten man in terms of storylines uh, this offseason because he was the essentially the consensus number one free agent available at any position. The Niners signed him so early throughout this process with Nick Bosa holding out and with all that contract dispute, I think Hargrave kind of got forgotten about. But one of the things the Niners really struggled with was generating that interior pressure. You know, when Bosa is double or sometimes triple teamed on the outside, you've got to have other guys step up. And like you said, Hargrave and Armstead were just tremendous uh, in creating those pressures, pushing the pushing the pocket back, uh, really giving Pickett no chance to kind of step up. As you mentioned, that opened the door for some of your secondary guys like Drake Jackson, who almost equaled his sack total from last year in the first game. Kerry Hyder had a sack as yep. well. Hargrave did actually get a sack towards the end of the game, uh, which was nice to see him kind of rewarded uh, for all of that uh, that pressure. Um, you know, Kinlaw, again, is another guy who's <laughs> definitely forgotten about, but he had a pretty decent game as well. He, he had a funny play. I don't know if you guys have seen the replay, but he beat the left guard so badly on a pass rush snap that he actually, like, he he yeah. flinched and thought like wait is this a screen and he turned around like he instead of going <laughs> after picking it's like oh oh my lord Kinlaw that's what it's called when you win a one on one rep is like it never happened to him before <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh that was quite a surprise but uh, you mentioned uh, this being Steve Wilkes's first year as the defensive coordinator one of the things that he has been interviewed about was how was this defense going to look different. And one of the things that he mentioned several times is that he does like to be a little bit more aggressive when it comes to blitzing. However, in this particular game, know your opponent, right? Uh, Kenny Pickett actually has struggled more against four-man rushes when you've got everybody else dropping back into coverage. So the 49ers actually didn't blitz uh, at a high rate at all. In fact, their their blitz rate in this game was actually lower than their average blitz rate all of last year. So that was a surprise. I think we were expecting to to see some of that, and we certainly could see a more aggressive blitz uh, scheme coming in, but uh, we'll have to kind of wait and see next week. That that really does depend on who you're playing. So if if you're asking basically what is this defense going to look like under Wilkes, I think a short answer is pretty good. They, yeah. they look pretty good. <laughs> I think a lot of it is going to boil down to how are the other teams making adjustments. And Matt Canada for the Steelers is a coordinator who's coming under a lot of fire. A lot of Steelers fans are pointing out just how much the offense has struggled while he's been in, in charge. And what you saw from the 49ers was they blitzed more than half the time in the first quarter. And it was like the Steelers just got it in their head to expect a lot of blitzes. So they tried to go to a quick game. But then throughout the rest of the game, the 49ers were 
you know, showing blitz and then throwing everyone back into coverage. And you could tell Pickett was just flinching. He was he was expecting to have hot reads or people to go to in blitz situations, but snap the ball. And then it's zone. Everybody's in zone. And, and then, it, then it's zone, and there's there's two linebackers sandwiching all of these sort of checkdowns that, that he was looking at. And, and I think just really, really outcoached the Steelers in this game, both, both sides of the ball. You know, just, just really impressive performance. So I think another storyline, too, that you and I were concerned about, because everyone was saying this was going to be such a close game, one of the things that can really sway the outcome in a close game is special teams, especially the kicking game, <laughs> and no small amount of drama surrounding the 49ers kicking situation with Jake Moody picked in the third round, and then all the stuff he went through in preseason, you know, getting iced in preseason games by Josh McDaniels and then missing a couple kicks, and then hurting his quad in the, the weeks leading up to this game and not sure if he would be active. It turns out he was, but I know it was just so refreshing to see him come out in this game and even under some weird circumstances, just nail every kick. Yeah, we talked about this last week as well. The 49ers just are one of those teams where drama seems to follow them. They, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are like the most anti-drama guys you can imagine, and somehow the drama just finds this team. So the 49ers brought in Zane Gonzalez, and I think their intention all along was to show him off in preseason and then trade him for a seventh-round pick, hopefully, uh, before you cut him. And, of course, Zane Gonzalez gets hurt, and they have to give him an injury settlement. Jake Moody, as you mentioned, injures his quad on his kicking leg. There was a lot of questions as to whether or not he was even going to be healthy enough to play in Week 1. So you talk about a disaster situation where... There's an immense amount of pressure on Jake Moody, who really struggled in the preseason. Even the kicks that he did make didn't look good. Sure. Um, as you mentioned, he was iced several times. There's also a tremendous amount of pressure on him, being one of, I think, five kickers in the last 50 years who've been drafted in the third round or higher. Immense pressure on him to perform, especially when you're replacing a legend, uh, Robbie Gold. They don't really hand out uh, Hall of Fame memberships to kickers very often but Robbie Gold certainly is one of the best to do it he's statistically one of the most accurate kickers of all time like top five so again talk about a pressure situation for Moody and as you mentioned a lot of weird things kind of happened so after the 49ers march down get all of their offensive weapons involved in the first drive of the game they hit um, Samuel they hit Ayuk they hit Kittle on a fourth down conversion And then after the touchdown, there's a delay of game. So, you know, (laughs) as a fan, you're watching this going, oh boy, I I just saw Wishnowski doing the kickoffs. So is Moody actually fine? Is his leg okay? Yes, he's coming out on the field. Okay, so there's a delay of game. How often do you see a delay of game after a touchdown? That almost never happens. So perfect, right? You're adding more pressure, adding five yards to the extra point unnecessarily. Yeah. Uh, so what does he do? He gets up and he just drills it dead center, top of the uprights, adding that extra five yards, no problem. Then on his first, yeah, on, on his field goal attempt. That's <laughs> yeah, his second kick of the game. You know, you think maybe he'll be able to just trot out and have a normal, you know, it's from 46, so it's not too long, but but is that going to go smoothly? And, and, and that one was interrupted as well. <laughs> you know, you had the basically the entire Steelers defense like jump offside in an attempt to block it and and it was of course blocked but okay so here we go again he's not able to just walk on 
line up and and kick it instead he he gets the kick blocked but there's a flag and now he's moving up and just again like he didn't get to get into any kind of routine but once again he stepped up and he nailed the kick and before that even happened Tomlin actually did try and ice Moody I think there were some people that were saying it was possibly a you know a formation issue but come on no (laughs) no it wasn't Um, Tomlin was trying to ice him and I get it when he's had a rough preseason and he's a rookie if you can take three points off the board in what you thought was going to be a closely contested game, you probably should do that. At the same point, is that a dick move? Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. So overall, Moody was six for six on his kicks between field goals and extra points. Just so, so reassuring. It was a point of, of some, some real anxiety coming into this game. And now you're just not worried about it. He, he's going to miss some just like anyone does. Just a relief to see him come out and handle his business. Uh, another big storyline coming into this game was the Steelers' pass rush. Of course, they have you know T.J. Watt, who's one of the two or three best pass rushers in the NFL, depending on, on who you ask. Uh, but they also have good interior pressure with Cameron Hayward. And the 49ers have this sort of, I don't want to call it a reworked offensive line because they've only changed one position, and they're swapping out Mike McGlinchey, who a lot of 49ers fans were ready to say goodbye to anyway. But Colton McKivitz has been a career backup, and how would he fare against T.J. Watt? Uh, who typically lines up on that side, and that was something we were keeping an eye on. And sure enough, Watt got his. He had three sacks in this game, and, and including you know forcing a couple fumbles. So, you know, some work to be done. Burford yeah, scares you too. It's hard to grade McKivitz, like you said, when you're going up against an elite talent like that, and you're not really getting help. A lot of times, those T.J. Watts or the Bosa's or the Micah Parsons, you know, you try and double team those guys. There wasn't a whole lot of that. They kind of let McKivitz. Uh, do his thing and he did struggle mightily against uh, TJ Watt which again you have to expect that you would like to have maybe seen him be a little bit more competitive but again I don't know who has really high expectations for him that was obviously a weakness Shanahan preferred to go with him because of the system familiarity instead of trying to draft somebody that is something to monitor as the season moves on. A lot of 49ers fans, us included, were really surprised that the 49ers didn't even bite at anybody. They didn't draft anybody on yeah. the offensive line. Odd strategy there. Um, another person who really struggled mightily in this game. There weren't too many 49ers who had a bad game. No. We're nitpicking here. Uh, McKivitz at right tackle certainly did look rough. As you mentioned, Spencer Burford had a really bad game as well at right guard. Um, He was penalized three times and kind of hit the trifecta. Uh, He had a false start. He had a hold. And then he actually had a face mask that was brutal. Uh, The face mask was actually added on to the end of a strip sack um, where McKivitz just whiffed on Watt. That that was a pretty uh, rough turn of events there. So in terms of 49ers who struggled, definitely the entire right side of the offensive line is a concern. Yeah, Burford was just missing the tripping for the cycle. You know, that's <laughs> <laughs> So close, he almost had it. And I guess we have to say the only other 49er I would say who had a pretty noticeably bad game would have to be Diamador Lenore. I think that's fair. He did lead the team in tackles, actually, uh, but he also had a couple of really bad bad penalties on the Steelers only scoring drive right before the half. He had a really terrible, terrible late hit where he's probably two or three full yards out of bounds before he launches his shoulder into somebody. You just kind of have to, I don't know if his eyes were closed. I don't know. Yes, these guys are fast, but how can you be that far out of bounds before you even think about initiating contact? Terrible, terrible penalty. If he doesn't commit that penalty, there's a really good chance the Steelers maybe get three if that. They might not have scored at all. That that was a huge penalty 
in that drive. Didn't look great in coverage, just had a bunch of penalties. Um, and the 49ers committed 11 penalties in general, so it, it didn't really seem that way because usually when we have a game where we commit 10 penalties, it dramatically affects the outcome, but we were just kind of curb stomping them, so you didn't really notice. But when you went back and looked at it, it's like, oh, yeah, that's... 11 prob- is a lot. <laughs> yeah, probably not something we want to do against other teams that we're not holding to five straight three and outs. So. But, yeah, it's, a, it's amazing when you can almost double the time of possession beat a team 30 to seven and be penalized 11 times. Just think about what this game would have looked like if they had actually played disciplined and clean. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think when you're looking at these units that, you know, had some underperformers, I think it speaks to the, the depth and the execution of the team that in general, you know, you can point to Lenore struggling a little bit, but Kenny Pickett averaged five yards a pass. They didn't have a first down, like we said, until their last drive. They were in negative yardage throughout most of the first half. 49ers had five sacks in this game. Now, granted, three were on the last drive, but they were consistently just overwhelming the Steelers at the line of scrimmage. And Steelers couldn't run the ball either. They had, you know, Najee Harris, you know, he finished with, uh, a 5.2 yard per carry average, but that was on the back of a, a 24 yard run. In general, they didn't even try to run the ball, uh, which was really just stupid. Again, the the Steelers, I think, were feeling cute after preseason, and so they were going to give it to their guy, Kenny Pickett, who's all that in a bag of chips. Well, he's no Brock Purdy, we can say that. Uh, but it's just so strange to not even see the Steelers try to give Najee Harris the ball. He's their best, you know, offensive weapon. Obviously, their wide receiver Pickens is amazing sky's the limit for that guy but the pittsburgh steelers identity as an offense they are a run first football team and even when you get down you can't just completely abandon the run which is why it's just so dangerous to start the way they did where it's all passing and it wasn't working and they didn't adjust at all so i think 10 of their first 12 plays were passes yeah and like you said they didn't have a first down until right before halftime so terrible coaching Terrible adjustments. Talking about storylines as well. Um, Tomlin was interviewed this week and was asked about Brock Purdy specifically and what kind of challenges does Brock Purdy present for the Steelers defense. And in a really highly backhanded compliment kind of way, he said, well, it's not really Purdy so much. It's more like Shanahan. So giving props to his fellow um, you know, coach, but that's that's really a dig at Purdy. It and seemed that the Niners players, their locker room certainly took it that way. Yeah, Nick Bosa was interviewed as well and said that he shut up a lot of the haters. Purdy did after this game. So um, it's tough when you try to talk the talk and you're going up against a vastly superior opponent. Again, the 49ers just got no respect coming into this game for whatever reason. Brock Purdy still, for those of you keeping score at home, has never lost a game that he has actually finished. Yeah. Um, including this week. So the 49ers after this are pretty much number one in every power ranking that I saw, and that seems reasonable. I think you want to put the Cowboys up there. Um, Eagles kind of squeaked out a win yeah, uh, against, against, the, not, against not the Patriots. Impre- not but an impressive victory, but yeah. It I, certainly seems like it's going to be those three teams, barring some kind of big surprise or massive um, injury that, that just changes the trajectory of the season. It looks... Definitely like it's going to be 49ers, Cowboys, and Eagles somewhere towards the end. It's hard to say that you're an underdog and that every, you know everyone doubts us You know, after you've been to three NFC Championship games in the last five years. But yeah, it did kind of feel that way coming in. I mean, even look at the comments from Patrick Peterson, who, you know, certainly in the back half of his career, but still a good player. You know, he came into this game saying the 49ers have tells and I'm definitely going to get an interception. 
and all he did you know in the first couple drives of the game the first three three or four drives of the game was give up two touchdowns to Brandon Ayuk who by the way was targeted eight times and had eight catches for over 100 yards and, and two touchdowns yeah Ayuk is the number one receiver on this team we were talking about this all last year Debo Samuel kind of gets a lot of the media attention and that's that's the sort of household name if you will when you think about the 49ers wide receivers but Ayuk really truly is the number one wide receiver on this team Debo is spectacularly talented and really dynamic with the ball in his hands but when it comes to route running and just kind of again amazing hands Ayuk really has blossomed and I think the only limit to to the kind of numbers that he's going to put up is how much is Christian McCaffrey going to touch the ball sure. in this game? He certainly touched the ball a lot before we get to that. You did mention uh, Patrick Peterson as well. He did have two pass breakups where it seemed like he was maybe jumping the routes. He, as bad as the stats look for him to, to give up two touchdowns in week one, that looks terrible. He actually didn't play that poorly. One of the touchdowns, he just slipped and fell down. Sure, that which, first one. That's rough, but that's not really an indication of skill. That's something that can happen to anybody. And then on the second touchdown, the coverage was immaculate. Yeah, it, it was, was just, all over. I it think. was just an absolutely perfect throw from Purdy, a back shoulder throw. That reminded me of um, Aaron Rodgers, rest in peace, uh, <laughs> back when he was with the Packers throwing to Jordy Nelson, that unstoppable back shoulder throw that you would see on the sideline. That's one of those things, like to quote Mr. Miyagi, like no can defense. Yeah. If you when, if when, you th- when do right no can defense. yeah when do right no can defense. So when you throw that ball perfectly, it's either going to be an incompletion or a touchdown because the defender has no shot. Peterson was all over him. I think uh, Brian Baldinger did a, a breakdown of that, and he said the coverage was so tight. Patrick Peterson can tell you what brand of mouthwash Brandon Ayuk used this morning. Like that's how close he was. And I thought that was a, a good description. So again, Patrick Peterson at the end of the day, the stat line looks pretty bad. He did not get that interception that he was expecting after the game. He was interviewed and he did kind of own that. He said, look, I did have the opportunities. I just didn't, yep. didn't make the plays. So credit to him for at least um, owning up to that. Usually when you have guys kind of mouthing off and, taunting sort of before the game it's hard to find those guys in the <laughs> locker room uh when when the game goes the way this did but true. he he stood up and, and took it so props to him at least for that yeah you mentioned McCaffrey and he was another one who you know just just has completely changed this 49ers offense ever since we traded for him last year he finished with 22 carries for 152 yards and a 6.9 average and probably one of the best spin moves we've ever seen you know, something, it was almost like something out of Madden on a 65 yard touchdown with really fantastic blocking down the field as well from Brandon Ayuk and and Ray Ray, you know, where you go into halftime, you're up 20 to seven, Pam Oliver is doing her segment on what the Steelers need to try to change or, you know, to to make it more competitive. They finally had some momentum, right? They actually scored a touchdown drive. So here the 49ers come (laughs) and in two plays, they've just shut the door on Pittsburgh completely. If, if, If there was any illusion Pittsburgh fans that you had a chance and that you were coming back in this game no yeah 27 to 7 now no like boom two plays just stunned the defense and and at that point the game truly was was just completely over you mentioned the great blocking on that play Uh, one of the things that Brandon Ayuk was in the doghouse for in some of his early years was his inability to consistently block or unwillingness to block well he certainly has changed that 
And if you watch that play, he has a beautiful pancake block on KZ, the defensive back. He honestly looked more like Trent Williams than Brandon yeah, Ayuk on that knocked block. Him, just, knocked him to the ground. Just leveled him. And then you mentioned Ray Ray coming across the formation to put a block on Patrick Peterson that really enabled McCaffrey to get in. McCaffrey is a dynamic player. I would argue the only maybe a drawback from this game is his overusage. I'm not really sure what he was doing running the ball in the fourth quarter. They ran him up the middle a lot. Surprisingly, they didn't use him that much in the passing game. You know, he only had three catches for 17 yards. I think it's a very bad sign for the rest of the league that the 49ers could come out against a good Steelers defense and just completely dominate them. With a vanilla scheme. I mean, they didn't even do anything special. Yeah, Shanahan didn't do any of his patented you know, screens or, you know, use check plays where he leaks out or they, they really didn't do anything fancy. They just ran McCaffrey up the middle and Purdy hit people on crossers all day. And it was it was just just an overwhelmingly efficient performance. It's it's that time. We need to talk about Brock Purdy, you know, coming into this game. Perhaps the biggest storyline other than, you know, the Nick Bosa extension and and, you know, his sort of addition at, at the final hour to the team. A lot of people were saying, you know, you have to remember that Brock Purdy has not lost a game as a starter that he actually finished. You know, let's, let's pretend that Eagles NFC championship game where he got hurt didn't happen. You know, he had never lost a game and all he did was come out and go 19 of 29 for 220 and, and two touchdowns and post the number one QBR, which seems counterintuitive. Like how could he have been the highest graded quarterback? But I think a lot of that is that when you look at it, he was one of the, the lowest quarterbacks in terms of yards after the catch. He was not just dumping it off. No, he was actually top 10 in, in uh, not just yards per attempt, but um, air yards per attempt. So in other words, how far are you actually throwing the football? You know, Justin Fields is throwing a bunch of screens, and sometimes it's they're actually laterals behind the line of scrimmage where you get those yak yards. Uh, but in this case, he was top 10 in, in depth of target. Um, and then, like you said, just one of the highest um, passer ratings uh, of any quarterback this week, as we saw Mahomes, Allen, all of these top tier guys, Burrow really struggling Purdy coming off of a massive injury on his throwing elbow. Looks like he hasn't missed a beat. Um, There was a stat that was going around. Pretty much everybody was sharing it, but I'll read it to you. Brock Purdy is the first quarterback in NFL history to win each of his first six career regular season starts and throw at least two touchdown passes in each start. Purdy also is the first quarterback in NFL history with a passer rating of 95 or higher in each of his first six career regular season starts. So what that means is he has done something that Patrick Mahomes has never done. Tom Brady never did. Aaron Rodgers never did. Peyton Manning. You know, pick a legendary quarterback Brock Purdy is doing some historic things and he's been getting a lot of flack again in the media. Um, people sort of pointing to he's just a game manager quarterback. He's just dumping off these short passes. All he does is make really good decisions. Yeah. He escapes from pressure in the pocket and throws a bunch of touchdowns and the 49ers seemingly put up 30 points a game regardless of their opponent. So I'm not really sure what what more people are looking for from a quarterback, but I think it's safe to say there's quite a few teams around the league that would be thrilled to have the kind of production that we are getting out of Purdy. I think we're in that era of quarterback play where people want it to look sexy. They want a quarterback who runs like Lamar Jackson or who runs tough like Josh Allen or makes sidearm throws like Mahomes or throws these bombs. 
And with Purdy, it really is all about the decision-making. Some of these passes in this game fluttered a little bit. You know, he didn't always hit people exactly in stride, but he hit people who were open. And it wasn't even like Shanahan schemed open. It was like Purdy bought time in the pocket, knew exactly where to go with the ball. I think more so than than perhaps any other quarterback in the league, honestly, because I think some of them are just winning on talent. Purdy pretty knows where to go with the ball and it's not just the slants like Garoppolo like we we've dealt with some really one-dimensional quarterback play from the 49ers for the last you know I don't know 20 years you know but especially in recent memory with Garoppolo defenses knew that if you took away the middle of the field Garoppolo only likes throwing to these in-breaking routes he's not going to test the outside well that beautiful touchdown to Ayuk that 20-yarder that was a just a one-on-one take your shot but it, it was perfectly placed um, and some of these others, you know, that maybe the placement wasn't as perfect, but again, he just, he knew where to go with the ball and, and it's hard to quantify. It's hard to put in the box scores, but I think that's why Brock Purdy and the 49ers win these games is that he's just, he is an elite, elite, elite decision maker. And maybe if he were in an offense with Sean Payton and with sort of a pass happy scheme, maybe he would be putting up Drew Brees numbers. Maybe he would. You don't, you, you don't know that he wouldn't, um, but I think when people point to it, they're like, well, the numbers, he's only throwing for 230 yards. Don't tell me he's an elite quarterback. It's like, well, that's all they're asking him to do. But the efficiency is off the charts. I had to laugh when I saw a Sean Payton offense lose this week to Jimmy Garoppolo, or, <laughs> or should we call him Jimmy Wheels after yeah. that thrilling third and seven dual threat? <laughs> <laughs> that third and seven QB rollout where he actually uh, essentially iced the game. Uh, I'm happy for Jimmy to, to, I hope he does well. I think he got like a Tim Tebow level of disrespect, which is really unwarranted. Is he the greatest quarterback of all time? No. Is he a top 10 quarterback right now? No. Is he a good quarterback? Yes. Is he a good leader? Yes. Does he win games? Yes. So I hope he does well uh, for the Raiders, and mostly I just hope he stays healthy. Um, We've certainly seen our share of injuries, so you don't want to see anybody get hurt. But uh, again, good luck to Jimmy and just kind of adding to the list of surprises this week, the Broncos could not put up 20 points a game last year. It was like every game they played, they were somewhere in that you know 15 to 19 point range, and you're just not going to win a lot of games in the NFL that way. So they bring in offensive genius Sean Payton, who's going to fix Russell Wilson, and it didn't happen in week one. It'll be interesting yeah. to see what they do moving forward, but... Just kind of wrapping up here, we mentioned a couple of 49ers that struggled. Throughout the course of the podcast, we've, of course, mentioned some 49ers who shined. But if we missed anybody, a couple of notes, things you need to know. Uh, Mitch Wisnowski had a really excellent game as well. Doesn't always show up on the stat sheet, and it's not as important in a game that you win by 23 points. But he pinned the Steelers inside their 10-yard line three times, and two of those punts were like basically right on the five or just outside the five. So when you look at how much trouble the Steelers had moving the ball, they were starting inside their own 10 yard line a lot. So on those rare occasions where the 49ers actually did have to punt, Wisnowski was spectacular this week after a not terribly impressive preseason. So that was really good to see, especially with him having to handle the kickoff duties as well. We mentioned Drake Jackson was the beneficiary of all of that inside pressure generated by Hargrave and Armstead finished with three sacks. Uh, is there anybody else, you know, of course, Hufanga played really well, had an interception. Warner played really well. You expect those guys to play well. It's good to see Mooney Ward get an interception. Uh, really nice, 
you know, high pointing the ball with his hands, especially since he had sat out the last day of practice with the heel injury. And that was kind of concerning, but he came out and was for the most part was, was locked down. He's another one like Hargrave that, you know, the 49ers added him. They seem to have this approach in the off season of, we will go get one free agent and, and it, a good one. And, and it's almost always someone on the defensive side of the ball. And then everyone just sort of forgets that. But I think with Hargrave and, Traverius Ward, Mooney Ward, you have a couple building blocks at these outside spots where the 49ers don't always draft um, incredibly. And in the meantime, they just keep churning out these elite linebackers, just controlling controlling that whole middle of the field. Yeah, and we mentioned, uh, of course, rookie kicker Jake Moody. Spectacular week, uh, made every single kick. They all looked really good, very solid, very encouraging to see that. So, Football is back. 49ers win week one in glorious fashion. As I mentioned, pretty much every power ranking you're going to see the 49ers are uh, king of the heap right now. Um, So it's just wonderful that football is back. Just kind of rejoicing, basking in that uh, glorious uh, thirty to seven victory. So, any final thoughts? Just welcome to Rams Week. We're going to uh, Levi's South. Yeah, know? home away from home. Yeah, SoFi Stadium, where the 49ers fans usually outnumber the Rams fans. Could be a bit of a trap game. No Cooper Cup for the Rams, but I'm sure Seattle was thinking at home that they would take care of the Rams pretty handily, and they lost by 17 points instead. So definitely we've been the Rams' daddy. You know, you see those memes with Kyle Shanahan um, and then Sean McVay, like, as the little kid on his shoulders. But, yeah, don't want to take them too lightly. Matt Stafford seems to be healthy, and and they seem to have found something in that first week. So definitely going to be a a good game. Interesting to see what happens. Uh, We'll be here to give you the breakdown again. Once again, we are the Niners Bros. Be sure to check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, and For more 49ers content, check us out on Twitter. Or X, however you want to call it. (laughs) See you next week.